Today in Canadian History for May the 9th, I'm Joe Barima. Today we discuss a reality that goes beyond borders, beyond Canada. It's simple, and it is this. Never, ever come between a kid and their candy bar. On this day back in 1947, newspapers and radio stations across Canada were running stories on a growing war over the price of chocolate bars. On one side, Canadian kids and their love of chocolate. On the other, the grown-ups, a changing post-war economy, and the chocolate companies. Philip Daniels is a Canadian filmmaker. He is the director of the film The Five Cent War. I reached him in Toronto. Well, you know, it's just such an interesting story, and I think it, it was one that kind of uh, had a lot of sort of currents in Canadian society that just that I was interested in, and it just seemed like this kind of crazy sort of thing that you don't really think of in Canadian history, but it was kind of connected to all these um, bigger sort of stories of the time about uh, the Cold War and anti-communism and, and uh, you know, people finding their place in the world and, you know, kids challenging their parents and that sort of stuff. So uh, certainly, you know, it seemed like a very simple and, you know, cutie kind of sugary story on the face of it, but it was this uh, nice little a nice little piece that of Canadiana that kind of really touched on a lot of things uh, going on in the post-war um, sort of social currents. It was interesting. As far as I can tell, it was pretty much the spring of 47, and it sounded like it was concentrated pretty much in late April toward maybe like the middle of May, because what you really saw was these sort of isolated stories about like candy bar protests. Then there was uh, sort of some backlash from particularly the Toronto Telegram suggesting that you know there was communist involvement and stuff. And you also saw, very interestingly, advertisements by candy manufacturers putting ads, big ads in the paper saying, hey, you know, this is why the candy bars price up. Like, we're not, you know, everything's cool. We're not really gouging you. Like, really trying to sort of mount a counteroffensive in, in the media to what, you know, was going on all over the place. Well, basically, this was at a time in, in, in 1947. What had happened uh, after World War II was, or rather during World War II, prices in Canada uh, had been had basically been price controlled by uh, the federal government to keep prices stable um, throughout World War II, and uh, as a means to uh, you know to keep inflation down, uh, so that people would not be subject to fluctuating costs during a period of, of national uh, emergency, and, and to reach some other economic gains as well. And uh, once the war was over, actually a couple of years after the war was over, and uh, the transition was being made back to a peacetime economy, uh, price controls were lifted, and what that meant was basically the price of everyday items, you know, essentially went up overnight. I mean, the food costs, um, certain materials costs, I mean, things that people use every day suddenly went up, you know, 20, 30, 40, sometimes even 50% or more, literally overnight. And you can imagine what kind of, um, you know, what kind of shock and hardship that, that can bring to uh, to most people. So this the, the thing with the, with the chocolate uh, bars was that sugar had gone up, uh, sugar was no longer price controlled. I believe chocolate itself or ingredients of it at some point were subject to price control you had all the things that go into making a candy bar suddenly cost more. I mean, the gas, I mean, it costs more to transport your ingredients, uh, um, all of that, basically. But, um, you know, the bars cost more to make, and the manufacturers weren't about to lose any money. So sort of uh, then as now, those costs are passed on to the consumer. The dominant consumer being kids. Kids who had scraped together cents through paper runs, chores, maybe hustling their parents for a little top-up on the old allowance. To kids, the rise in chocolate prices just didn't make sense. <clears throat> it was unjust. 
What's interesting about this story is what they did about it. In a time before social media, before email, Canadian kids started to protest. Well, you know, it's hard to say exactly how many, you know, a number-wise of how many kids involved, but what was most impressive about it was that it truly was a national phenomenon. I mean, there was there were similar, the protests that we documented in the film were uh, similarly occurred all over the country. I mean, from, from Halifax, really, out to Vancouver Island, but they actually began on Vancouver Island in a small town called Chimanus. And um, really, from there, they actually spread east, pretty much. And, and you have to remember, this isn't a time, you know, long, this is a long time ago, and this is you know, before the age of the internet, before people could easily just speak to anyone they wanted to in the country at any time and find out what was going on or or have sort of any sense of, for these kids, you know, what was going on outside their own small little town sometimes. Um, so it's really quite remarkable that this sort of issue had, had so kind of uh, motivated kids to try and do something about a problem that they saw in the world and they were going to kind of take this on and, and, and uh, you know, act in their own interest to, to, to bring back something that they loved. So, I mean, the fact that it was really widespread, I don't think there's any province that didn't see some kind of protest or something that didn't, you know, in those days make the newspaper and, and were sort of the subject of uh, public comment. Um, to see all these stories kind of cropping up um, within a fairly short period of time um, connected to each other and pretty much uh, rallying the same cries and, and unfolding in the same ways um, was really quite remarkable to see. Certainly, you had the, certainly the Shamanus one. We actually went to Shamanus in the film and you know tracked down some of the some of the people who were involved, the kids who were involved in the very first one that that we could find, the one that we believe kind of sparked everything. Um, and it was just a bunch of kids, you know, and they were they were kind of uh, you know upset about the situation. There's a well, we're going to do something about this, and they thought they would have a little parade down Main Street and kind of uh, you know protest this and, and say how unjust it was. And and they couldn't remember who, but somebody said you know well we're not going to buy any more candy bars, and so we're going to strike. And we're going to a candy bar strike um, and uh, that sort of you know gained some traction and and I think initially initially I think you know their parents and adults and stuff you know thought it was kind of a cute thing and 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 that sort of thing but uh, this sort of went on for quite a while and the, uh, the, I mean stores were picketed you had kids literally would like stop people from going into stores um, in some cases I mean this is a very rare occasion but there was one I mean you know rocks were thrown at windows that kind of stuff um, certainly kids had made signs they had made um, you know protest signs they had some of them had written letters to the editor some of them had um, just basically stopped buying candy bars is what the what it really started taking notice by other people and by newspapers and people in other parts of the country was that suddenly kids who used to buy something were no longer buying it and they were saying why and that became to be seen nationally and, and started to become a bit of an issue. What happened was the other, I think, other sort of sources, and not just kids across the country, but there was also all kinds of other people in the society who saw what was going on, were inspired by this, and kind of wanted to use what the kids were doing and the image of the kids and stuff for, to advance some of their own wider interests and connect what the kids were doing to some other issues they were concerned with uh, in Canadian society at that time. And certainly as coverage of the protest grew, I mean, there was on Vancouver Island, actually, the Victoria legislature, I mean, was shut down by kids who rushed the uh, the legislature one day, and, and, you know, you can imagine these politician types kind of, I mean, you think it's almost like a Little Rascals episode or something. I mean, there's politicians chasing these kids around out of the, you know, out of the, the, the Capitol building, and, and things like that were going on, so but as these things sort of increased in frequency and visibility, um, they started to actually be denounced in the newspapers because um, there were people making accusations 
organizations that these kids were, you know, being organized by someone and being used for certain things. And, and there was an Eastern newspaper, Toronto newspaper, of course, uh, that came out and said quite explicitly that they believe that, you know, these, these kids are being led by communists and this whole thing is a communist sort of front being used to, you know, destabilize Canada and, and that sort of thing. Um, and it also, we did a lot of research on this and, and in the film we really investigated the idea that, um, this sort of protest had also drawn attention from the RCMP uh, investigating the possible communist, you know, connections of this sort of activity going on, and the RCMP were interested in these sorts of things because at the time um, was very concerned about um, juvenile delinquency and the problems that uh, a post-war society could face with high numbers of juvenile delinquents. So there was, there was a lot of... Um, uh, attention at the time to making sure that kids didn't get too far outside of what their parents, adults, and, you know, uh, a progressing society kind of needed from them. That's right, communists. The red tide sweeping in from the east. Now, there really isn't any evidence that the candy protests was a communist plot to overthrow the Canadian government via the Canadian kids. The National Federation of Labour Youth in Canada did support the protests and the price controls, but there is no evidence that they were directing the protests. As Philip points out, these accusations and the fear of communist influence was reflective of the social and political environment of the time. I mean, this predated, you know, the, I would say the, vastly the excesses of, of McCarthyism in the U.S., but I mean, certainly coming when it did only two years after the Igor Gazenko um, uh, discovery or the defection of Igor Gazenko and, and uh, revealing that there was a, a Soviet spy network in Ottawa and, and in other countries too, um, that really, well, really helped start the Cold War. And this had just happened only two years after that. So it was a heightened sense of, you know, communist infiltration in the country and, and these, uh, that communists were, um, for the first time, because people hadn't really been, I don't think, really familiar with the idea of like a sleeper agent or, you know, someone hiding among us who really has this other, you know, un-Canadian kind of agenda. And people were very concerned that um, that, that was going on at the time. So they saw this, I think, some people saw this as, as, as an example of that or, or yeah, here, here's what, here's what they're doing, you know, here's what these communists are trying to get us through our kids. I don't know whether, you know, it necessarily was, like in every case, a parent read the paper and went, oh my God, my kid's going to turn red from this, you know, and they stopped. But it was certainly, there was a lot of discussion about kids, you know, like it's better not to make waves. It's better to kind of go along with things. I don't get too involved in stuff. Uh, and kids really sort of, I think, went against that at the time. But but certainly after there was more discussion about it and, and criticism of it and, and stuff, it, it did kind of peter out because at the end, you know, you're talking about a bunch of kids. And yeah, unless somebody does step in and organize it and make it some bigger, bigger thing, then it's kind of, naturally going to peter out right um when this allegation about the communist influence over the movement or you know, that even was a movement being led by communists was was made it was right before there was going to be this big march in ottawa and it was going to be i think kids were trying to get there from all over the country and it was, it was mainly ottawa youth doing it but people knew that there was going to be this sort of big protest candy bar protest on on uh, parliament hill and um that really kind of diffused things. It was after that that the sort of editorial, I think, came out and said, you know, or who's really leading this? Who's really behind it? This organization is like a front, you know, a commie front organization. These kids are going to turn into communists, and this isn't what we need to support. Today is a day full of Canadian history. 
Canadian country music legend Hank Snow was born on this day back in 1914. 26 miners were killed in the Westray mine disaster in Nova Scotia on this day back in 1992. And, as always, on this day we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. The executive producers are Joe Burima and Mark Affeld. Original music is provided by the Fisk, Fletcher and May Trio. This series is not meant to be a definitive source on our past. Instead, we hope that it sparks a desire to learn more about our unique history. For more information on the series, or to recommend an event or moment, check out our website at cgswcom slash Today in Canadian History. And now, pulled from the CBC Digital Archives, we leave you with a short clip that originally aired back in 1947. Last Friday on News Roundup, we reported on a demonstration by Toronto school children against having to pay eight cents for a chocolate bar. Tonight, a candy manufacturer explains why the price is eight cents. He is G.S. Moffat of Moyers Limited. He's interviewed in Halifax by Ken Bullock of CJCH. Mr. Moffat, what's at the root of the increased cost of chocolate bars? Well, Ken, it's an old story of incre- increased prices of raw materials. More than anything else, the cocoa... <laughs>